U.S. Navy history arriving. Welcome back to the U.S. Navy History Podcast. I am Dale, and over there is Steven, the XO. Hey, Steven. Hey there, everyone. How you feeling today? We went over some pretty cool stuff the last couple of ones. Uh, we did. We did. I even watched Das Boot. Yeah, you know, brutal, but cool. Yeah. Maybe one of these days we'll get a sequel. <laughs> das Boot <laughs> 2. This time, it Uber Sub. Yes. So, today, we're going to go through a number of different conflicts, because they're very short. The Second Sumatran Expedition, the Ivory Coast Expedition, and the capture of the Monterey. So, you ready to get underway? I have a feeling I know how two of these three are going to go, but let's cast off. Alright, so, the Second Sumatran Expedition. This is one of those punitive expeditions that was carried out by the Navy. And this is the second time we've done this to the island of Sumatra. And this was because the melee warriors slash pirates massacred another crew of an American merchant ship, the Eclipse. So, it's August 1838, and the Eclipse is visiting the village of Trebogan on Sumatra when 24 of the Malays approach it. The second mate allowed the Malays to board when they relieved themselves of their weapons. So, stupidly, the Americans then returned their weapons oh. as a sign of friendship. <sighs> Dang it, guys. So, the Malays are now rearmed with knives and other plated weapons, and they attack the crew. First, they kill the second mate, and then one by one, the rest of the men. Some of the sailors did jump overboard, but the Malays hunted them down and massacred them. They decided they wanted to hunt the most dangerous game. So, not to be that guy. You're that guy, though. I am going to be that guy. Um, how do we know the details of their... I'm trying to think of the nicest way to put this. The details of the massacre, uh, if there were no American survivors, were there first-hand accounts from the 24 warriors near the end of this that they shared with the Navy? Well, the news of the massacre reaches Commodore George C. Reed in December of 1838, while he was sailing off Ceylon in command of the East Indian Squadron. It doesn't say how he received word, but that he received word. I mean, these guys were there visiting a different village. So maybe members of that village sent word. Uh, oh, okay. So yeah, I guess I was going to say, it sounds like the crew of the Eclipse were killed to a man. So best guess is the 24 started talking in their village. You know, it's not like the villages are isolated little pockets that never interact with other villages on Sumatra and were just spread across the island. Yeah, I mean, there's multiple villages. I'm sure some are friendly to the U.S. Some obviously are hostile. So Commodore Reed, he is in the frigate USS Columbia. He immediately sets sail southeast towards Sumatra with the USS John Adams, which is also another frigate. 
they were actually in the process of circumnavigating the globe. They were doing it in conjunction with, but not for the United States exploring expedition of 38 and 42. And we went through that already. I was going to say, I'm already kind of getting flashbacks. Sumatra, massacre, circumnavigation. Didn't we do this before? And it's happening again because people don't learn their history. Okay. But you know what? They didn't have to detour for this punitive expedition. What kind of detour? There was no detour. They were able to just keep going. Uh, it was it was on their way. Oh, okay, okay. So the Columbia, she had 500 men on average Whoa. and 50 mounted guns. Oh, is that all? And John Adams carried 222 men and 30 guns. This is going to go quite poorly for that village. So they reach Sumatra, January 1st, 1839. And they head for Kuala Batu when they get there. Once they reach the Kuala Batu, they form a line of battle just in range of five earth and wooden forts that protected that village, and they opened fire. So we didn't send any sort of message or signal saying like, hey, we're here for what happened about half a year back. Send out the 24. We'll be on our way. It was just a uh, drop anchor, aim guns, light the powder. Yep. <laughs> I'm an apologist for the very, very poor humanitarian performance uh, that colonialism has. But And like I'm not going to excuse those 24 guys massacring the crew of the Eclipse. And it's an understandable response from the Navy to show up and be like, you know, hey, um, that was messed up, so we're going to demand some sort of, you know, justice. This is really escalating the response, though. Well, yeah. And I mean, it only took an hour for them to destroy all of the forts. I feel like that that's longer than I would have thought. I mean, there's five of them. I suppose, and, you know, you figure probably a minute between volleys. And they're cannonballs. They're not explosives. Well, guys, why don't you use a hot shot? You know, just heat up a barrel or two to make the cannonball red hot. Shoot, if it's wood, it'll burn. Well, then maybe you should have been there to tell Reed about that. Yeah, no, I, I used the time machine once, and um, I'm still recovering from the T-Rex, so I'm good. Okay. So, the chief of the village, he surrenders, of course, and agrees to never again attack American ships. So, after accepting that, Reed sets sail for Bucky, which is the quote-unquote next American objective, and they reach there the next day. This is when they land an invasion force of 360 Officers, Marines, and Sailors. All commanded by Commander T.W. Wyman of the U.S. Navy. These guys attack Mucky, while Columbia and James Adams and John Adams provide covering fire with their cannons. Now, of course, most of the inhabitants flee the village when the fighting starts. I mean, that's just to be expected. And 
Some of the melee men do attempt to resist the attack, but 360 men and artillery coming in from these big guns, they are quickly overwhelmed. Right, they're not only outnumbered, they are outgunned in every possible sense, as they probably don't have many, if any, guns. Yeah. So, it doesn't take long for Mucky to be engulfed in flames. And after setting fire to the village, the landing party, about faces, returns to their ships and sail away. I mean, mission accomplished. Yeah. This ended the punitive expedition. And Commodore Reed continues his circumnavigation of the world. I have mixed feelings on this one. Like, that was a justified retaliation, but that was a very, very escalated response. Well, it did achieve something that the first expedition had not. Lasting peace? The Malays never did plunder another American merchant ships. I'm, I'm standing with I have mixed feelings on this one. Like, <laughs> yes, I mean, no further acts of piracy from the Malay. And no further attacks on American shipping. That's that's good. Peace is good. That that was peace bought with uh, a lot of destruction, though. Well, we actually don't know how much destruction or casualties there were because there are no records of casualties. That's that's fair. If I want to be a blind optimist, I will just try and think that you know, hey, maybe nobody was in those five forts, and maybe they all just decide, you know. We can build a new village. Well, let's let's just let them have their fun and burn it to the ground. <laughs> I don't think that's what happened, but yeah. So now we're going to move on to the Ivory Coast expedition. Now refresh my memory. Ivory Coast is that East African coast or West African coast? Liberia. Let's refresh my geography. Is that East African coast or West <laughs> African coast? I. When it comes to modern nations in Africa, the only ones I can easily identify on a map would be Egypt and South Africa. That would be the West Coast. Okay. Atlantic Coast. Got it. So this is a expedition against the Barbary people. Again? After attacks on the merchant ships Mary Carver and Edward Barley. Let's put a pause on this real fast. This was a punitive expedition again. It, we had one. We had two because they didn't learn the lesson the first time. And they were feeling a little cheeky after 1812. And now we're going for a third time. Well, I mean, you have to teach these bad, bad people a lesson, right? Guys, I get it. The pirate aesthetic is fun. It's fun to say R and show up with three daggers even though you only have two hands, but... At a certain point, you have to have a little common sense. Well, would you like to get into it? Let's get into it. Okay. So this expedition starts January 6th of 1842 under Commodore Perry. He leaves New York on the sloop of war USS Saratoga of 22 guns. When he reaches Porto Grande in the Cape Verde Islands... He transfers his flag to the 38-gun frigate USS Macedonia, which participates in the operation along with the 16-gun sloop USS Decanter, 
and the 10-gun USS Porpoise. Now, all of these boats, except for the Porpoise, also had Marines. Oh, those poor pirates. So, from Cape Verde, they head towards the coast. Their mission is actually to support Liberia, which had an American colony for freed men, which are freed slaves. Huh. I I didn't know that... I thought African colonialism was just a theory put forward by abolitionists. It wasn't something that they actually, you know, gave a, a go with. No, they... This is something they actually did. Because once the slaves were freed, the white people were like, well, they're free. We don't want them here. Mm. So they were like, let's send them back to Africa. Oh. And they did send a lot of them back to Africa. Okay, okay. And established colonies. So it, it was put into practice. It was just never put into practice to the extent of, you know, hey, emancipation has happened. Let's start sending folks over to the west coast of Africa. Right. It wasn't forced. It was volunteer. Hmm. Which is a surprise that it was that way. But give kudos for that, I guess. I I, I shrug. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I shrug because uh, I, I don't think any of our listeners need to really take any guesses as to how we feel about America's history with slavery. Um, we think it's awful to anyone who does have yes. a guess. But... Very awful. Y- yes, now, these colonies that the U.S. establishes over in West Africa, they're there to not only, you know, a, for a place for the freedmen to live, they were also used to suppress the slave trade and the heretical, no, the piratical tribes in the region. Because just because we abolished slave trade didn't mean, doesn't mean everybody else has yet either. Oh, yeah, no, just because slave imports were banned by 1820, give or take a few years, I forget exactly, you know, doesn't mean that smugglers weren't still, you know, riding that triangle trade. Yeah. So when they got there, they heard about the Mary Carver and Edward Barley incidents and started to conduct an investigation. Because, you know, that's what they had to do. So... Perry arrives near the coast of Sion in mid-November, and his first objective is to gain proof regarding the act of piracy in this area. So he disguises the USS Porpoise as a merchantman and sends her to shore. You want to guess what happens? Well, I'm assuming they got pretty close to shore. Maybe they even made it to shore, and then pirates. Actually... Almost immediately, war canoes approach them from shore and try to take the ship. Now, Commander Stallwagon, he was in command of the Porpoise. He's actually able to get away without firing a shot. So they don't know that the U.S. Navy is there yet. Oh, so they still, they think that this merchant just got lucky. Yup. So one of the reasons why they chose Sano B is is because the tribe there is suspected of treachery, as well as the Barabee tribe. So once the porpoise returns and reports back and says, hey, guess what happened to us? 
they turn around and leave the expedition. They had to do other things elsewhere. So now we go to November 29th. They send a party of 75 Marines and sailors and land them at Sunil. Perry has a meeting, or Pavilar, with the governor named Joseph Jenkins Roberts of Liberia and his staff, which are nicknamed the 20 Kings, to discuss the incidents earlier. So during this meeting, the leaders claim that the American sailors were aggressors and that they had only defended themselves. So do you know what Perry does? Um, he decides to demonstrate how the Navy actually is if they're being the aggressors. He burns the village. I mean, that sounds like um, the American Navy being the aggressor. <laughs> uh, they do take three prisoners and they send them to Monrovia. That sounds like a made-up place. I'm not saying it is. It just sounds like a name that you'd come up with a, like, yes, the glorious Republic of Monrovia. Monrovia is the capital city of the West African country of Liberia. Mmm. It's located on Cape Masrudu. Hmm. So, now that, uh, that village is down to 17 kings, what was their next move? They go back to their ships, and they take the governor with them. That, that's it? Well, then we go to December 1st. Okay. I, I was going to say, this is a very short anti-piracy operation then. <laughs> there are now three Navy vessels off of Blue Barra. When they send another short party, they escort Perry for another meeting with African authorities. Later that night, they return. They actually disperse gifts as sign of friendship this time. And it seems to be a pretty good success. So they make another landing at Citra Coup on December 5th, where they were supposed to meet with a principal chief, quote unquote. And again, this meeting was successful. So Perry sets sail for Cape Palmas and anchors off the town of Caval on December 7th, where he has another meeting with the African chief Ben Krakow, who was the overall king of the tribes in the area. He was working his way up the ladder. So this landing was a tense one. Although there was no fighting, Perry stationed sentries at the gates of the royal corral to help with escape in case the king was like, nope, I'm getting out of here. Now, king, I guess we can call him king, King Krako. He denies that any of his people did anything wrong. So he touches his ears and his tongue with his sword because in his, in his culture, that's a gesture of truthfulness. Either he was full of crap or the local um, warriors were doing some stuff, you know, off the books. Yeah, either he was full of crap, he was full of crack, or he was not with the information of what his people are doing. Now, the governor asks Krakow if he would attend the 
great meeting at Little Barby, and he accepts it. So that's when Perry sails his squadron for Little Barby. And on December 14th, he lands 50 Marines and 150 sailors. Now, this meeting was held in the house about 50 yards from the crawled gates, during which the governor begins discussing with Krakow the Mary Carver and the Edwin Barely affairs. It became apparent that the king, King Krakow, I like that name, was not telling the truth. So Commodore Perry steps closer to Krakow to advise him to stop lying. And, well, a scuffle ensues. The chief attempts to drag Perry to his spear, but the Commodore throws him off and then leaves the house as fast as his little feet could take him. Well, those now, were aggressive negotiations. Mm-hmm. Now, before getting out the door, a Marine sergeant opened fire with his musket, and he hit the king while two others bayoneted the king. The native interpreter, he runs out of the house, and the Americans and riflemen from the town, they start fighting. So now that the fighting has begun... Guess what? Perry orders. Open fire. Oh, that's already happened. Burn to the ground? There you go! You know, I feel like this happens every few episodes. It does. People were really, really into pyromania back then, weren't they? They were. Burn it all. So, after lighting the town on fire, they returned to their ships. And on the way there, they were ambushed by warriors in the woods so another fight and the marines and sailors you know guns bayonets they rout them pretty quickly and of course the three warships docked or anchored out in the bay they open fire at at what the smoldering town the ashes all of the above and probably the war canoes that were following the rest of their men. Uh... And they capture a couple of them. So, the battle's now over. The Africans, while we don't have a number of casualties, it's described as many killed and wounded. And the American casualties? Goose egg. Uh, well, one pair of pants from Commodore Perry. Yeah, they probably were a bit brown, weren't they? I mean, if I almost get dragged to a spear, I believe were your words, mm-hmm. I, my my pants will not stay uh, brown-free re- for too long, I imagine. But that's just me. Yeah. So, after this battle, because this was a battle, this was open hostilities. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that, that was definitely a... Understandable reaction. Yeah, so Perry sails down the coast, detects another settlement, destroys it. Destroys seven villages, in fact. And they inflict serious losses on the natives. That's how it's described. No actual numbers. So, pretty much, since 
this clearly went, these piracy operations went all the way to the top. This entire region then just, for lack of a better term, unofficially was declared war on to uh, stop the piracy operations. Hence him going down the coast like that. That's what it seems. Apparently he got enough information from uh, King Krakow. Well, to, he, you know, almost getting stabbed. Well, I mean, because of the conversation Krakow and his governor were having, he, he was able to tell that Krakow was lying to him. Yeah. So, so the American casualties for the next seven villages were, again, nothing. It was very, very, very much a slaughter. Now, after this the Commodore decides that they had been punished enough. So he ends the expedition and proceeds on with, you know, the other duties of the United States Navy. Now, Chief Krakow, his body was buried at sea, and the Commodore takes his spear as a prize. And also, the evidence that started this whole off, as well as the, you know, the conversation, was that the Mary Carver's flag... And pieces of her were found at the residence, which was all they needed. That's pretty damning. Yeah. Yeah. So that is the Ivory Coast punitive expedition. We'll call it punitive because that's exactly what it was. Yeah. Well, I'm glad this isn't just uh, someone getting their jollies off of, oh, look, native population or as I like to call them, target practice. As much as I love history, and as fun as military history is, I, I never revel in violence. <laughs> but yeah, this, this was a classic definition of uh, muck around and find out. Yeah, I mean, they were obviously pirates. I mean, look what they did when the porpoise was coming in. Yeah. <laughs> they were immediately set upon. You know what? Maybe they just wanted to have a rowing competition. Well, the porpoise won then. Exactly. Yeah. Yay, porpoise. USA. USA. <laughs> so from there, we shall move on to the capture of the Monterey. The capture of the Monterey by the U.S. occurs in 1842. After hearing news, false news, that a war had broken out between the U.S. and Mexico. How the heck does false news like that make its way to the Navy? Lots of different ways. And besides, you're talking about military intelligence. That's the biggest oxymoron in the world. Uh, so the commander of the Pacific Squadron, Thomas Catsby Jones, sails from Lima, Peru with three ships to Monterey, California. The objective was to take control of the capital city before a suspected British secession could be achieved. So there's a lot of little angles here. Yeah. So the American forces include the USS United States and the and two sloops of war, the USS Dale. They named one after me. <laughs> and the USS and the USS Cyan. The squadron arrives in Monterey Bay on October 19th and anchors. Commodore Jones then sends his second in command, Captain James Armstrong, ashore to demand the Mexicans to surrender by 
0900 the next morning. Now, the Mexican garrison consisted of 58 men in a very old fort, and they chose not to resist. So when 0900 comes, 50 American Marines and 100 sailors land and capture the city without incident. So the next day, Commodore Jones learns that the war hasn't begun yet. And the British were not preparing to take control of California. So the Mexican troops were, of course, freed. And the landing party boarded their ships and set sail, saluting the Mexican flag as they left the harbor. That was nice of them. Jones then heads for Hawaii, which had just been taken over by the British, and helped restore the Kingdom of Hawaii to its former before British glory. Now, as you can imagine, the incident proves unpopular in Mexico. Well, yeah, you, you just let a foreign power walt waltz into your own sovereign territory and then, by their goodwill, realizing, oh, oh, we're not at war. So sorry. Um, good job surrendering. For the audience, he's saluting because he forgot that this was not a audio medium. <laughs> How does one narrate? <laughs> I just did. And he did do a English salute, not a United States Navy salute. That's a Boy Scout. That's the Vulcan salute. I have no idea what that is. Ah, uh, the classic British two-finger salute from the War of Roses. Oh. Well, the Hundred Year War. I thought you were trying to go in for a examination. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, because of the incident, Mexico's response is that he ups the garrison and constructs shore batteries and a number of other defenses to guard that city from future attack. Yeah, yeah, I don't blame them. Which, of course, did come again in 1846 during the Mexican-American War. So that is it for the capture of Monterey. Nobody died. That's great. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, so effectively what we had was uh, the American and Mexican version of that little island that uh, Norway and Canada keep having a territorial dispute. Oh, well, they used to. Apparently that's been settled. So no more little maple syrup or whiskey stashes to be found by the other Navy. Nobody died. Nobody Yay. died. <laughs> I count it as a win. I see this as an absolute win. I do too. This is the most cordial conflict we've had yet. Surrender. Okay, we surrender. Oh, we're not at war. Bye, guys. Sorry. See you in 46. <laughs> we'll do this again in four years. Don't call us. <laughs> we'll call you. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it this time. Next time, we're going to actually move into the Mexican-American War. So that is going to be something. Can't we just solve this by saluting each other's flag? That only works once. Oh, so we exhausted that one. Yep. How you feeling? Uh, you know, it it's a nice change of pace after some of the conflicts that we've covered in the last few episodes that 
the well two of the three were justified reactions excessive maybe but at least it's understandable why the navy's responding in the way it is mhm and hey, we ended on a high note you know what that's nice it's been a little while since we ended on a high note <laughs> i thought you'd like I'll, that i'll take it probably the last one we'll have for a few years yeah we're getting into the mexican american war this is going to be a long conflict it's going to be bloody we'll we'll try to find some high notes <laughs> in we'll, it. we'll sprinkle in some uh some pleasantries here and there and then short, not too long after mexico we get into 61 but that's months down the line we'll get there when we get there yeah all right well if uh you want to contact us you can do so do you remember the email xo U.S. Navy History Pod at gmail.com. Nope. I'm going to flip my desk one of these days. And I will be sure to record it and share it with the world. <laughs> U.S. Navy History Podcast at gmail.com. Do you remember our Twitter? USN History Pod. Yes. I'm going to say it again. Why on earth did you make our Twitter handle different than our email? Because the email's too long. I tried. <laughs> oh, learn from us, folks. Make your Twitter handle first. Eh. Just asking for the obligatory five-star review. We sure would like to read that out, and that will help the podcast grow to get out to more people. And uh, we want to wish you a fair winds and following seas. If you folks need me until next week, I'll be finding Mexican flags to salute. Well, down here in Texas, they're all over the place. Yeah, it's going to be a little harder to find up here in the Midwest. All right, see you guys next time. See you later, folks. U.S. Naval History Podcast, departing 